The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 290 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from medical practice. Our topic today is First Nations caring for their veterans of the War of 1812. Caring is needed for veterans of today's wars for the physical injuries they sustained in combat or in accidents on or off duty. Caring is needed for veterans of of today's wars for another form of injury called post-traumatic stress disorder often referred to as PTSD, which is a type of anxiety disorder and which can last weeks, months, or even years. Post-traumatic stress disorder occurs in military personnel as a result of their personally serious, sustaining serious physical injuries. It occurs as a result of their seeing serious harm occur to their fellow personnel and it occurs because of their witnessing extreme circumstances. Post-traumatic stress disorder is explained by Dr. Ruan Jayatunga in our show's October 29, 2013 episode, What Family Caregivers Should Know About Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. He explains the type of care that's needed and the effects of caring on family caregivers. Now, post-traumatic stress disorder can also occur to people who are unconnected with the military and who are of any age after events like these, being a victim of or seeing violence, car accidents and plane crashes, death or serious illness of a loved one, domestic abuse, hurricanes, tornadoes and fires, prison stay, terrorism, violent crimes like a robbery or shooting. Now, post-traumatic stress disorder is a type of disorder that's been recognized for a very long time. So it's likely that, along with deaths and physical injuries, it also affected Native Nations warriors in the War of 1812, which is why our topic, First Nations Caring for Their Veterans of the War of 1812, is so interesting and important. To discuss it, our guest is Zig Miziak. Zig he says, still sees himself as a student of Native Nations history and culture. He provides curriculum and related support to schools in Ontario and other parts of Canada. His mission is to familiarize, coach, present and mentor all those interested in Native Nations. And he's very clear in stating that he speaks about, but not for, the Native Nations. 
he stresses that he always takes into account oral and written information when available and respects both types of information. His work and achievements include President of Real People's History, PBS, WNED TV, Binational Education Advisory Group, War of 1812, author, Six Nations, Iroquois, Iroquois Program Teachers Resource Guide, and very much more. So welcome to the show, Zing. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Now, first question for you. Please tell us some more about your life, your career, and of any contact you've had with veterans of any wars. Zing? Um, well, I, I think the, uh, to take that last answer and put it first, uh, I've, had, I've had more than my share of contact with veterans for sure, and, uh, and I mean this in, in a good way, simply by being my, myself being a uh, refugee of World War II. Uh, I came to Canada in 1950, and my uh, uh, my mother and father were survivors uh, of uh, World War II, uh, having lived in Poland. So, as as most of us know, the you know the Nazis came in from one side, of course, the Russians from the other. So, moving to Canada, I grew up with um, veterans, and um, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, I was taking care of a veteran. My, My father passed away about. 18 years ago, but I, I was taking care of another Polish war veteran, a veteran of Monte Cassino, who died on Christmas Day at the age of 93. Um, my uh, my coming to, to Canada, of course, uh, you know, what, what can you say? It's well, one uh, of, of the most wonderful countries in the world, first of all, for taking in my family and, and a lot of other refugees from all over the world post-World War II. And as a result of that, uh, I immersed myself into um, uh, adopting, I suppose, in a sense, uh, another culture, which is very close to me geographically, uh, about a 50-minute uh, ride, and that is the Six Nations people along the Grand River. And over over the last half century, uh, 50 over over 50 years, I've um, I've absorbed and and, uh, and gobbled up uh, everything I can get my hands on, uh, as well uh, as it turns out now that I've uh, most of my friends are from the Six Nations, so I'm fairly familiar on different levels um, with, uh, with the people, with their history, their culture, what they went through in the past and what they're going through currently. But as far as the veterans are concerned here locally, uh, too, it was only a year and a half ago that a Polish monument was put up um, in recognition of the Polish soldiers' alliances and association with um, uh, Britain and uh, the uh, Canada, of course, the United States, uh, you know, during that time. Uh, for your freedom and ours, you know, is, is a slogan that's put on there. But it took that that long, uh, that many years, uh, to finally get a monument here locally uh, done. And, right. uh Now, I'm only going to stop you, not because it's uninteresting, Zeke, but because of time pressures, because I wanted you to tell us more. Mm-hmm. Now, you've already mentioned your work studying First Nations history. Please say more about how and why you got started with with it, and who you speak to, speak for in this work. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as I touched on earlier, when I when I arrived on the Canadian shores here at the age of three, uh, we moved to Brantford, uh, Ontario, which uh, uh, one of the one of the neighboring communities uh, are the are the uh, Six Nations people of the Grand River. 
I, I didn't know who, quote-unquote, Indians were. That was a term that was used then. So as I grew up, uh, incrementally, uh, I, I, I was learning just more and more on my own. Um, it was an avocation, not a vocation. And um, so, you know, from sourcing books and, of course, meeting people and going to a myriad of, you know, different uh, conferences, et cetera, et cetera. So over the, over the last decades, I, I uh, have accumulated, a, I guess, um, uh, a fair bit of information on them that has culminated in the uh, collaboration of the, the, the Six Nations Iroquois Program Teachers Resource Guide that you had mentioned, um, Ray Sky from the Six Nations and I produced this to help teachers, and now it's in 563 schools helping teachers uh, with Native studies, which is very topical in Canada, coast to coast, and becoming increasingly so. And uh, and then uh, the other recent books that I, I've published have been all around focusing mainly on the Six Nations, but uh, not, not excluding uh, other First Nations and Métis. Uh, and their involvement in the um, Re- American Revolution, of course, leading into the War of 1812. Because after the War of 1812, in terms of military necessities, etc., you know, that just was not an issue any longer. Uh, as we know, you know, the peace between Canada and the United States and the First Nations has been ongoing for the last 200 years, which we're celebrating the last 200th anniversary of the War of 1812 this year with a few events along the Niagara River. Right. Now, you've already told us quite a lot about why you do this work. So I've got one quick question and then a rather longer one in the time that remains in this segment. Are you a historian by background? That's that's my first question. And the second, can you tell us more about the resources, the historical resources that you use for your work? Mm -hmm. Uh, my uh, my uh, vocation uh, was in the robotics field. Uh, I graduated uh, in that area, and that's what I did for a living. I retired uh, just a couple of years ago. And the resources uh, I've used, um, it's been a combination. Um, uh, every, every, um, uh, every, every book, every article, uh, every every lecture every conference uh, that i could attend over the decades uh, i would i would go to i became a historic reenactor uh, butler's rangers of the american revolution and uh, a reenactor during the war of 1812 which means that i actually go to historic uh, locations historic sites and uh, you know see the terrain and reenact the battles and uh, then um, uh, like I said, it's just been a combination of everything, uh, just taking into account all sources and filtering them through myself, uh, you know, and just regurgitating them, if you will, into a form that um, seems to be very, very palatable to a lot of people now because of the um, because of the sources. Again, going back to the native community, to the elders, to the academics there, and. Um, a testament to that, of course, is the, the the Native Studies Guide that Ray and I had produced is used in many, many Native uh, um, uh, institutions as well as non-Native institutions. So the validity um, uh, and, the, and the resource material and information and the way it's been produced has obviously turned out to be quite uh, valuable and valid uh, to our educators and other people. When you're when you talk about oral resources, that means that you're interviewing people mm-hmm. and asking them 
what they know, what their history has been, the stories they've heard. Am I right when I say that to you? Absolutely, you are. Um, and, and if I if I if I have a moment to, to add, one of the difficulties with uh, with with the oral um, information that's available um, with the First Nations people is uh, uh, not unlike a war, where uh, First World War, Second World War, where a generation of young people was simply uh, surgically removed or, in, or you know from from uh, different nations. Well, the residential schools and the assimilation process and everything else, too, almost decimated uh, that natural flow and that continuation of the oral history. They didn't write anything down uh, pre-contact, and, of course, with con- uh, after contact with Europeans, um, it started to, you know, gradually... Um, move toward a written form of documentation, but not nearly as uh, as much writing as we Europeans had done, uh, recording, uh, you know, our history, our stories, and where and where the stories came from. So the oral information right now is very, very limited. Uh, it's a composite of things, um, and of course, uh, I and other people have only been able to speak to the elders um, available that uh, can recall, recall only what they um, have been able to retain and gather from some yep. unbroken chain or partially unbroken chain of information from their um, ancestors. So, But having said that, then, then applying the academic portion, which has been written information, and there's a whole bunch Z- of... Zig, uh, I'm going to stop you there, only yeah. because of the tyranny of time, yeah, but we're coming absolutely. back to these things. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is where, as I say, we have to pay the rent. We take a short break. Okay. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Zig Miziak. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be back. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus Drug Discount Card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96362. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? 
Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Zig Miziak. Our topic is First Nations Caring for Their Veterans of the War of 1812. Now, let's talk about the War of 1812, the role of First Nations warriors, and what's known about the deaths and injuries they sustained. So first of all, please tell us about the War of 1812. Well... Um, in, in about 30 seconds. <laughs> or less. <laughs> it, it, uh, the War of 1812 um, uh, is, um, is simply a follow-up uh, to the American Revolution, where, where of course, as um, most people know, the Americans found their independence from uh, Great Britain. And um, uh, all the wars in Europe ultimately affected what was taking place here. So, as we know, Napoleon and, and Britain and other countries were involved in major, major uh, conflict uh, on on the uh, on that side of the ocean. And uh, but there were colonies here, there were settlements here, etc. The Americans um, Americans saw an opportunity with uh, the British being, you know, slightly distracted on you know a manifest destiny, a continuation out west. Uh, dominating, of course, territory uh, that, that was occupied. It wasn't vacant. It was occupied by First Nations people. Britain was still in the way. They had some fortresses in the area, and uh, the United States decided to uh, declare war um, on Britain uh, very shortly after the American Revolution and started, uh, you know, moving up this way. They really thought that they were going to take over in a matter of a few weeks, which didn't happen. The population of the United States, keep in mind, was about 8 million. Uh, the population here in Upper and Lower Canada was a couple of hundred thousand, including First Nations. So we were greatly outnumbered. And uh, so the war started officially in June of 1812 and officially was over in February of 1815 with a lot of conflict in between. And that uh, result was the First Nations, the British uh, regular army, and the settlers here were able to uh, prevent uh, any, um, any t- territorial takeover by the Americans. And here we are. Right. Now, tell us, please, about the role of First Nations warriors in the War of 1812. Zig? Mm-hmm. Uh, major, 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 major rule, um, and, and it complicated. Uh, and and I'll, quickly, I'll quickly say this. There were different different fronts. Uh, out west, there was a whole grouping of First Nations people under a leader called Tecumseh, who was who was counting on the British assistance when the war broke out, which happened. But uh, halfway through the war, uh, the uh, the British had left that frontier because they had lost the battle on the Great Lakes and moved east. And then the First Nations out there were left 
uh, defenseless, and, and many of them moved this way as well, to the Niagara frontier on the Niagara River, where there was an awful lot of activity there and up the St. Lawrence. It, had it not been for, and there's three parts to it, had it not been for the British Army, the war would have been lost. Had it not been for the settlers and the militia, the war would have been lost. Had it not been for the First Nations allies, the war would have been lost. So what I'm saying is that any one of those components taken out of the equation, and it would have been a different uh, a border here right now. Um, matter of fact, probably no border. It would all, all would have been American. Um, so that's the relevance of the First Nations. They had a, such a small number of warriors, um, and yet they were watching what was going on, who was going to win, because only uh, uh, a couple of decades earlier, they had taken sides, most of them, with Britain, uh, and they lost. They lost uh, a, an awful lot of territory, uh, especially the Six Nations, and they had to move up north of the Great Lakes and the river. So they, they were fighting for their survival, and they did an excellent job. Uh, there, there are two or three uh, critical battles. Uh, one, one of the very first ones where General Brock got killed at the Battle of Queenston Heights had it not been for the First Nations who actually deterred the Americans' uh, militia from crossing the river, uh, Americans outnumbered the British and the militia and the First Nations on this side, that could have been the end of the war right in 1812. Uh, but it wasn't because of the First Nations' involvement and the, um, the fear that they put in uh, the Americans uh, and even stopping the 12 or 1400 that were position themselves on top of the hill at Queenston Heights. So that is one example of their relevance. Uh, and they continued that relevance, even though their numbers were not great. Um, but it was the, the, um, the, the, the fear that they had instilled on their style of fighting and uh, the intensity with which uh, they were known to fight. Uh, because, as I, as I mentioned again, what was their next move after losing their land south of the Great Lakes, um, you know, up in the Arctic or something? It was, it was really a back-up-against-the-wall uh, thing. So they fought, they, they, they fought um, uh, to protect their families and, uh, uh, first, and then, of course, they fought as allies. Uh, to the settlers and to Britain. And that, that relationship, by the way, as you very well know, between the First Nations, especially the Six Nations, with Britain continues right up to this very day, February the 17th, 2014. It's a remarkable uh, alliance and a loyalty that they have maintained and hold dearly to their hearts, you know, through all this time. Were the First Nations known for their warrior capabilities before the War of 1812? Was that understood, for example, by the British or the settlers, that, that warrior capability that they so obviously had? Sig? No question. Um, they, as, as young, um, pre-contact, and, and it lasted uh, up into, uh, you know, into a couple of years, uh, a couple of hundred years after contact, the the, the 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 women were the caretakers of the earth, you know, and they 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 farmed and they bore the children, of course, and they were responsible for 
um, the uh, holding of the titles of the chiefs. I mean, they, they could make or break a chief, really. The men, uh, they were the hunters. They, they were the, the uh, protectors. Um, and if need be, you know, they went out on attacks, etc. So they were groomed. They were like the Spartans. Uh, you know, that was their, their, their function. Everything about their physicality uh, was to be strong and healthy in order to uh, protect the uh, their particular family or their clan and then their nation and then this then the six nations after a period of time so yes they were absolutely uh stealthy they were they, i mean each one of them you, you know what they say you can cut the head off a snake and the body dies which in the military uh, sometimes occurred especially back then the officers uh you know, were sniped off, and and then the men were were chaotic. Well, the the First Nations warriors were not like that at all. They were each the head of a snake. Uh, you couldn't take one out and dislodge the other. The only thing that would disrupt them, uh, of course, if they tried to fight uh, in the style of the military back then, in the lines uh, confronting face to face, which they avoided um, the majority of times. Their style of fighting is just like they would be hunting, and that is see and not be seen, inflict injury, remove yourself uh, from a from a battle situation if it looked like it wasn't going to be won. Um, this actually created a little bit of issue between people that didn't understand how they fought, kind of referring to them as being maybe a little bit cowardly. Not at all. They had their families close by. Now, tell us, please, what's known now about the deaths and injuries among First Nations warriors who were involved directly in the War of 1812. See? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think to bring it to uh, uh, something that people are very familiar with today, um, when you talked about the United States Marines and other special forces, matter of fact, uh, I, I think forces in, in, in general, but one of the United States Marines special forces models is that they will not leave anybody behind, um, and they'll they'll take uh, they'll do everything to to take back the physical body of a person dead or, or wounded. It was the same thing for the uh, for the First Nations people. Again, I speak specifically for the Six Nations. They did not leave anybody behind. Every single person was so crucial, so important. Again, they were Spartan-like. I mean, they, these, they were not just uh, people that they had met uh, that formed a group, you know, say like a body, a company, or a regiment of soldiers throughout the world at that time. They were family. There was a relationship in blood. And uh, that's why I say they would pull the warriors off wherever they could. The only way they didn't, they, they weren't able to, is if the if the the area where the conflict took place was dominated then by the uh, you know their enemy, then, then it wouldn't wasn't physically possible. Uh, then you hear accounts, of course, of of brutality on the bodies. You know different things that people would do because they were hated very much. Um, so when they were caught, they were treated very, very badly. But they, they, they would take the, the dead away from the field. The wounded, uh, quite often, they, they would take back home, if they could, uh, to be treated by uh, their medicines, uh, by their people. And as you had pointed out at, at the opening of the show, it's not just a physical treatment. Uh, it was a uh, holistic treatment. Uh, that they had uh, before contact. That was just the way they did things. It was body, mind, and spirit that they treated. And uh, they, they continued, you know, through that War of 1812 period. And to some degree, even today, 
that holistic approach still remains, even though it's been somewhat twisted and, and uh, diminished, um, you know, again, by, by just time and, and, and the, the assimilation or the interference of, um, you know, different things in society as they are. Do we know, do you have any sense of any numbers at all of the, the? I know this is an awful question, but the dead and injured, were there mm-hmm. any numbers kept of any kind, Zeke? Well, there are numbers. As a matter of fact, in my book, uh, War of 1812, Highlighting Native Nations, uh, that's exactly what I focus on is from the, the War of 1812 for the First Nations point of view, all the way from the West to this area. And they didn't keep track of numbers, so the numbers were basically um, uh, uh, determined, extrapolated uh, by other accounts. A British officer might say, well, you know, they would know 16 British soldiers killed 13 wounded because, I mean, it was a head count. Uh, and they would estimate, they say, well, we had about 50 warriors with us, and we estimate three killed and two wounded, and so on. So it was an estimation. Um, I have in my book uh, every major battle and the and the dead and the wounded. Um, they, that is a uh, um, uh, the uh, the summary of a collection of sources. Again, some oral, some written, and say, okay, here this is what we estimate based on the the warriors that were there and the casualties. They didn't, um, you know. Again, their their writings. Uh, warriors, even though they were extremely relevant, uh, were not. Uh, part of the system, so there was no need for accountability. They kind of went and they and they came um, on kind of request uh, and and left according to what was going to be the best for them. So um, there are lists, but but nobody nobody can say that they're they are accurate. Um, in as much, actually, even the British soldiers, you know, there, there's some variance there, too, much, much less than the First Nations. The other one uh, is, of course, the militia. Uh, you know, there, again, people would write. They would say, my husband was killed or my son was killed and so yeah. on. So there is a record. Uh, but with the First Nations people, it was, uh, you know, we, they were there, they were gone, and there's no bodies. So that doesn't mean that they weren't dead and wounded. Uh, uh, you know, it was just like that. They, they were very ghost-like, I suppose, as far as that is right. concerned. But their percentage uh, casualty rates, the estimation is, their percentage casualty rate based on the number of warriors that they were able to put on the field was was high, uh, yes, high in, in proportion. Now, I'm going to stop you there, unfortunately, because of this time, but I want to come back to that um, Mm -hmm. as the first question in our next segment. So we'll take the break now because we, as I keep saying, we need to pay the rent. This Mm -hmm. is Dr. Gordon Anthony. My guest is Zig Misiak. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels on CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Zeke Misiak. Our topic is First Nations Caring for Their Veterans of the War of 1812. Let's now talk about the care provided to First Nations warriors injured in the war. But first of all, I'd like you just to say more because I cut you off about the what I'll call the casualty numbers so far as we know them. Zig, please the casualty numbers. Yeah, it would again the, the numbers the numbers are fairly vague compared to other numbers that are available uh through written information and documentation at the time. Um, the Americans, for example, they also had Six Nations warriors on their side because after the American Revolution, um, different nations like the, the Tuscarora, the Seneca, and Nida stayed on the east side of the Niagara River. So they became allies to the Americans. The Americans actually hired them and paid them. They, they formed them into companies. So they, they had a different record. Their record is a little bit more accurate because they would say captain such and such, chief of such and such, and they would list all the other, other warriors as soldiers. So they were on a payroll. So there the Americans had had an interesting record. But here, in what's uh, southern Ontario, uh, it was Upper Canada back then, um, there was no such uh, payroll. Um, the, the, um, the Six Nations warriors here in particular, and believe it or not, the, the word mercenary uh, is a word that uh, some of my friends in the Six Nations have used, saying that their warriors did not declare war on the Americans, so they actually aligned themselves with Britain as mercenaries and allies. So they would go out after battle and, of course, try to just get what they could, you know, on the field, whether it's weapons, uh, perhaps some, you know, some money, some food or whatever from uh, their enemy and bring it home, because back home were their grandmas and grandpas and their kids not that far away. Uh, only a few kilometers, you know, they were very close to the front. 
Um, so they're um, so so again here on this side the casualty list uh, didn't exist uh, as officially as it did on the American side. Right, and then, got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry to keep interrupting you this oh, way, but it's ours is a long story, and I want to make sure we get through okay. <laughs> every every key part of it. <clears throat> Let's now talk about the physical care provided to the First Nations warriors <clears throat> injured in the War of 1812. Who, you've already mentioned some of this, but what about that physical care and who provided it to them when mm-hmm. they were being brought back with their injuries? See? Mm-hmm. Well, right at the front, and of course it wasn't like the front in World War One, where there was this massive line and the division between the good guys and the bad guys, so to speak. I mean, this was uh, it was like a web here. It was interwoven. Um, so uh, just speaking of the warriors themselves, if something had happened in and around the British uh, encampment, uh, the immediate care, of course, if they could get it, uh, would be through the military uh, doctors. Uh, be as they, they as they they are. If they were close to their villages and that too, and their own uh, warrior friends uh, saw that there was an opportunity to bring them back to the village, uh, their village. That's exactly the, where they would go. They would be taken back to their family. There wasn't a a doctor per se that would take care of the entire village. The, everybody was really quite capable of uh, uh, dealing with, uh, with with wounds. I mean, that's just, that's survival. That's just the way it was. That's exactly the way it was for the white settlers in the area, too, living out, out in, uh, you know, miles away from, from, from anywhere. They, they would have to know how to take care of themselves. So they, they had their, their herbs and the medicines that they brought, you know, from nature, and depending on the wound, uh, they were they had centuries of doing the same thing, and that is, you know, using the, the herbs, uh, using the liquids, using uh, whatever it might be uh, to tend, you know, to a wound. These people were, were extremely tough as well. Anybody watching the Olympics now sees how many athletes are, are still playing, continue to play, uh, even though, though they've been injured, um, they've trained themselves. I mean, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't, oh, my arm's dislocated or I have a bruise. Uh, they, they would be able to, they, they, their self-healing process themselves and their net intensity and strength uh, was a part of the healing. But can you imagine if every soldier had the opportunity, you know, to be transported instantaneously home in their own bed around their own family, how important that would be to their healing, uh, along with all the other things. So for them, fortunately, uh, it, w- it was it was quite often that way that they were close enough to their family and friends that they had that. I'm going to say spiritual connection uh, as well as the physical right. connection. Now, spirit mention your mention of spiritual spiritual connection goes into the next question. What do we know about the spiritual care provided to First Nations warriors injured in the war, and who actually provided that the spiritual care? Zig. Well, the very first thing, actually, part of that came from themselves. Um, spirituality back then, and 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 to a large part even now, to the First Nations warriors and that too, was inseparable from their governance and their politics and everything. It was one and the same. Their their entire creation story and the peacemaker uh, about how they were to co- coexist uh, and how they were to treat one another uh, was a was a daily routine 
And I know going to events even now, there's a Thanksgiving address uh, given prior to a meeting, and there's what they call feasting or sharing of food, and 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 being in a in a group setting for discussions with a good heart and a good mind. I mean that continue and continues to this very day. But even then, I think it was more intense because we know ourselves, generally speaking, spirituality and and other things, um, you know, have uh, it's wavering a, a bit now. And for all of us back then, too, it was much stronger. Uh, for Europeans, you know, the Sabbath was more important, et cetera, et cetera. But, again, there, the, the, the person themselves was able to draw deep inside because that was a basis. Um, they, their purpose for fighting, they, they weren't out there in that particular war to gain territory. They were out there to protect territory and family. You know, so again, they wanted to heal heal themselves as quickly as possible because they want they had to be effective for their own community. They had to show the younger people or their older people, depending on what age group they're in, um, what they were capable of doing. You know, uh, I I just um, uh, I just marvel. I think at the at at the the history and the culture of the people that I hear have heard over the years being passed down, and I see glimpses of that through the people that I know, the pride in um, biting the bullet, so to speak, you know, not, not, not yelling too much when you're in pain physically or emotionally. That may not be such a good thing, of course, right, as you know better than I, because the expression of, uh, of pain or the expression of a mental hurt and a spiritual hurt is important, you know, for health. But I, think, I think it's a different context back then that it, it, that it is even now, and I think the key is in how how spirituality uh, was such a key role then, and how it's uh, how it isn't now. And there is that difference that I don't think we really, really can understand from our our minds. You know, sitting here in 2014. Sig, my question now is: What about the care provided by the communities of First Nations? for the warriors who were injured in the war. We've spoken about spiritual care coming from inside, so to speak, the individuals. We're talking about, the, we've talked about the physical care that uh, was very much part of the culture. But what about the communities themselves? How did they care for the injured warriors? Zig? Well, it, it was an extension that the community actually uh, functioned as one body. Uh, which is an interesting thing because uh, if the warrior coming back, uh, um, and, and if he came back and his family uh, happened not to be there, well, somebody else would take him in immediately. It's like a neighborhood watch, um, you know, that that or, or with a child. I know when reenacting that that child becomes. Uh, um, a member of the extended family, that everybody watches that child, make sure nothing happens to that child, or if something does happen to that child, then everybody pitches in at their level of, of expertise, like they get the very best of the very best. And it was, it was no different uh, then. The, the uh, injured people uh, were brought back, and it was who could do the best job for them, 
if the family itself could do the best job, that's exactly what happened. But if their if their cousin could do better, then the cousin immediately stepped in. It was it was a it was a known sense. It wasn't something. Well, who can? Everybody knew in the community, um, you know, that John or Mary, and I'm just using those names, um, you know, had this this uh, capability. Whether it's liquids that they needed uh, of some some herbs uh, or medicines, or whether it's some patchwork they needed, uh, whether it's uh, they needed to be covered or not, wintertime um, and all that, whether they needed a hug, I mean, believe it or not, you know, or they, they needed splicing or stitching with sinew on an open wound um, and the feeding. It was a really co- a community effort. Uh, you weren't isolated, so you knew, everyone knew. Uh, what the other person's injury was, and everybody would contribute, you know. Um, I, 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 but, but you know something, I go back and I say it wasn't unlike that for every culture, I believe, if you go back deep enough. It's just that we have, we have seen a culture uh, here just recently uh, that has been kind of disturbed uh, and everything else, too, that were functioning quite well. That's why we look at them almost as, a, as looking into our own past, as Europeans. That's a very interesting, very interesting analogy in a way, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Now, once again, it's time for us to take a break, so we'll do Mm -hmm. that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Zig Zig Miziak. Um, You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes' work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Zig Misiak. Our topic is First Nations Caring for Their Veterans of the War of 1812. Now, Zig, I'd like you 
to talk about more things that you would like to do and see done to promote understanding of the role and the fate of First Nations warriors in the War of 1812. So first of all, please tell us about more things that you would like to do to promote the, under the understanding. What would you like to do, Zig, please? Well, I'm I'm actually doing it. <laughs> I really am. Uh, I'm I, I I don't I even today I was at a um, a heritage uh, day in a little town called Selkirk, and I was invited to come down there uh, and actually speak and and display my work uh, that's aligned with promoting uh, and assisting our educators with First Nations history and culture. Uh, so that's the teacher's guide, and then my writings uh, are continuing. As a matter of fact, I'm in, I'm 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 in the process of writing another book that's a continuation of that, and that is the awareness, uh, the little children's book that I, I wrote, uh, little Mohawk boy, non-native uh, friend, having been born uh, on both sides of the Grand River here in Ontario, uh, and and I'm talking about the respect of one another's culture that they're parents were involved in the War of 1812. As a matter of fact, these children were uh, alive during the War of 1812. That's part of it. That's a continuation to teach the young people here in our country about, about you know, it's okay to cooperate and there are differences between us and the First Nations were relevant. Then the War of 1812, the book I mentioned earlier, highlighting Native Nations, and that is, again, an, an explanation of the First Nations' involvement the Governor General of Canada representing Queen Elizabeth and our Prime Minister last year had recognized officially with a medal and a banner uh, 42 nations that were allied to the British during the War of 1812. In addition to that that I've seen, there are other monuments that are going to be erected. Um, uh, one is at a, a major battle site, Stony Creek. That's already uh, been determined. Uh, a recognition of uh, First Nations warriors. Another one at a very important international location, that's Queenston Heights, uh, with Brock's Monument there. There's another project on the way. The Six Nations themselves here on the Grand River uh, have already, and actually last weekend, um, I got some more detail that they are erecting their own uh, 1812 commemoration to their warriors. And then on the other side of the river, of course, in the United States, the Tuscarora just put one up last year, recognizing their alliance and helping their allies. So things are happening, and I right. Yeah. And all I'm going to say quickly back to you, the answer to my question to you is, you want to go on doing more of the same, and good for you. Now, I want to ask you the question about more things you would like to see done and by whom you'd like to see them done to promote the understanding of the role of First Nations warriors in the War of 1812. Zeke? Mm -hmm. um, your, your, uh, your questions are so, um, are so precise, I mean, so point... Uh, oh, I shouldn't even... I can't even express that well. <laughs> in other words, you're, you're, uh, um, we're sort of ahead of the game here uh, a, a little bit because... The uh, Canadian education system introduced the First Nation Métis Inuit uh, education policy framework, meaning that Native First Nations Métis history and culture has to be taught in as many subjects in the curriculum here as possible, which is fantastic. That started only a couple of years ago, and it's to be in place uh, in two years. The teacher's guide that Ray Sky and I have produced 
that is aligned with that uh, in order to help teachers find uh, have access to an excellent resource, and there aren't that many right now out there that are, that are excellent resources to help our educators. So. I would say to the uh, to our our education system here, uh, go for it. Continue with that, and don't drop the ball on that one. As far as the history and culture, uh, with the 200th anniversary of the War of 1812 comp- uh, uh, being over this year, and the 100th anniversary of World War One beginning this year, let's not forget. You know, and that 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 same phrase for our veterans, lest we not forget. Let's not forget the veterans going back as far as 1812 as well that started the formation of this country. And and I say this country and First Nations territories, because the Six Nations here on the Grand River is not a part of Canada. It's a sovereign territory, um, you know, as, as allies. I know the Canadian military are recognizing uh, War of 1812 veterans uh, here uh, uh, locally, I know in particular, including uh, First Nations veterans. Um, so I said continue with that. And then marking of the plaques, uh, the, the Canadian government has found some funding to uh, for, for, for granite plaques for veterans of 1812, including... Uh, wherever they can find uh, any signs of First Nations people, marking them as well. And I say continue with that project and keep it in the curriculum. And to the public at large, I, I unfortunately, it's, uh, history doesn't seem to be very important to a lot of people. But I say when I speak to universities and young people, I said every single one of you, have ancestors that over the, the the centuries and the millennium were someplace on this planet when some historic event was taking place. I said, right. and if you forget them, you're forgetting you're forgetting them. You right. Can't. Now, I want you, please, different sort of question to summarize for us what we can and should learn from the history of First Nations warriors in the War of eighteen twelve. What should we learn and know? See. Well that they made sacrifices as much as anybody else made sacrifices. They, in fact, um, were, were forced into a war, in, the, in particular War of 1812, they were forced into a war not of their making. They got caught between two major powers or several major powers because France was involved, too, uh, indirectly, uh, you know, supporting the Americans. And... And it's not forgetting uh, that even though there's a small percentage, small percentage of our population, uh, that that every single body, every single soul that they lost affected not only the individual, the warrior, be it a death or be it a wound, but as you had pointed out at the beginning of your show, that it was the families, it was the moms, the dads, the grandparents, and their children, and their children's, you know, the 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 their their uh, descendants are living with us today. They they want to know that that their alliance and their continued alliance to Britain in particular, is, it continues. And I see that and Remembrance Day down at Six Nations in particular, when they have the British flag, the Canadian flag, the American flag, and their own flag, what they call the Hiawatha flag, all up there because they they still maintain an alliance. And not to forget that. That they and, and all they want from all of that, they say, listen, we, we fought, you know, in the wars, and we volunteered still in the wars, like World War One, for example, 
and and of course they have soldiers in Afghanistan and all, all all these different things, but they've always been there. And and I think for me it's like you know understand these people, give them respect that we you know it happened. Uh, we we did them a, a, a we did a bad thing you know to them. Um, and some people try felt possibly it was a good thing by trying to assimilate them into a culture. Uh, but we can see that they resisted that. They didn't want a part of that. And they have a right, you know, to their own culture to live within, you know, this country in particular. And uh, they were not our enemies. They were our friends. And to me, like I'd be saying to you, if this, is a, if this was a phone conversation between people that knew each other and had some something happened between us that broke our friendship, I, you know, I, I would say, let, let's patch this up. Uh, we, we were friends, and, and what happened? And if you're treating me badly, then why would you treat a friend that way after I was there with you, you know, all this time? And that's 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 the lesson, I think. Let, let Give them their sense of respect and honor, and let them work internally, too, to regain their respect and honor, because they're, you know, over the last many, many years, the, their sense of esteem and that has been waned and stretched, you know, to the point of, to a breaking point where, where many of their young people have taken drastic actions on their, on their, uh, the course of their own lives. And, um, you know, I, I want to report, you know, through this interview to my friends on the Six Nations and all First Nations people that personally I do see uh, a move forward, a great interest whether it be of healing, whether it be acknowledging, um, you know, wrongs of the past. But let these benchmarks, let these, let these uh, uh, historic events, you know, that we have, like the 200th anniversary of 1812, let them be, uh, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the light, the beam of light, uh, so we can analyze, you know, what took place at that time, um, that they helped us here in particular uh, retain the country, Canada, as we know it today, and and the warriors that fought alongside the Americans, uh, right. they they did the same thing because they believed that their alliance to the United States was as important as as the warriors here thought to Britain. Right. Now, sadly, we've come to the end of this episode, but I just want to say thank you for that moving and powerful answer to the question of what we can and should learn from the history, and I wish you every every success in the continuing work you're going to be doing to bring about the recognition, the respect, and the fact that these are people who lived, died, were injured, and were harmed, are working, fighting for us. And that is, I think, a very powerful lesson that needs, if I may say so, needs to be better understood. So thank you very much, Zig. I hope we'll do another episode with you talking about more about these things. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be You Have Come a Long Way, Babies. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 